Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. All right, Joey, how are you doing? Hey, (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. It's a Tuesday afternoon. We're recording because tomorrow I'm on a plane for vacation for spring break. Are you kind of like having a hard time being locked in on work? Are you almost checked out or are you so you're like you're cramming all the work that you have to do? Oh yeah. I'm (laughs) definitely cramming. Like there's so much on the to-do list I'm trying to get done before going. I'm like, I've been telling people I will get that done before I close my laptop. So (laughs) are you going to close your laptop at 4 a.m.? Yeah. Yeah, 4 a.m. Yep, I can sleep on the plane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I hope it's not that late, but thank you for making time for doing this for yeah, us. Yeah, it's great. I love I love Cut for Time. Um, all right, so why don't you go ahead and give your summary from your sermon on Sunday? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so focus of the sermon this last Sunday, we have been walking through these last few hours before uh, Jesus' death. And at this point, um, you know, we're a little bit ahead of schedule in a sense of, you know, Good Friday is not until a week from this Friday, but as we're going through these last few hours, we're up to the point where Jesus is now being crucified. So we saw him being mocked by Pilate's soldiers and then let out and then the actual crucifixion itself and kind of the things that happen uh, along the way. And what I really wanted to do in this week's sermon was not gloss over the fact that Jesus was crucified. I think uh, one theologian that I, I read on this topic, who she, I thought she did a great job. She asked, she said, you know, often we talk about how the question is like, why did Jesus have to die? And that's a good question. Um, but she said an even better question is why did he have to be crucified? Why not mm-hmm. executed in some other way? Why crucifixion? And so I, I wanted to spend the sermon laying out what crucifixion is, you know, in the process of telling the story, what the crucifixion is and how utterly debasing and dehumanizing crucifixion was intended to be. It was intended to reduce the person, you know, turn a human being into an animal, into an insect that was only worthy of being squashed. So um, that, uh, yeah. this theologian was saying, um, it had to be crucifixion because only a crucifixion um, captured the utter dehumanization of sin. Mm. So that was kind of the whole point of the sermon. Okay. Follow-up question. We knew like um, from Isaiah 53 in the prophecy Mm -hmm. about the suffering servant, we knew that the servant would need to die, but did we have any like context for how this how the servant would need to die um did we know it was going to be something like so dehumanizing or so brutal or did we think that he would die in battle because he's like yeah you know, oh this, yeah it's a good question you know because he's a he's a warrior a warrior you know yeah. right yeah yeah um i'd have to look at the text of isaiah 53 again i mean there's there's plenty in there just off the top of my head that is debasing and you know like he hadn't he had no appearance that would make us desire him right um um you know he was pierced he was mocked uh, those things come through in isaiah 53 so it's certainly an ignoble death it's not and it doesn't seem to be in isaiah 53 a victorious death or victorious self-sacrifice or something like that Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. um it's not like our 
modern myths of it's not like a Tony Stark sacrificing himself for everyone, you know, for the sake of the whole world or anything like that in a heroic way. It was no, yeah. this was utter, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd have to look at Isaiah 53. So, I mean, no one put it together until hindsight, right? Right. Even Jesus saying like, I'm going to have to be flogged and crucified and mocked. It was like, yeah, but really? Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody really connected it with Isaiah 53. And, and actually, um, some think, you know, when you read, uh, when you read Matthew's story of Jesus's crucifixion, it's not until the very end that he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is a quote from Psalm 22. And um, a couple authors said, you know, that may have been the point where Matthew and others hearing Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And knowing the whole Psalm, then we're like, oh, look at all these other things that are in this Psalm that happened to Jesus. And you kind of work it backwards. It's kind of like if you read a mystery novel, you know, a really well put together Agatha Christie novel or something, and you get to the very end and you find out what happened, and then you can look backwards and see how it all makes sense now yeah. that you have the key, right? Yeah. It's that yeah. sort of thing. I, I have some contemporary Jewish um, commentaries on the Old Testament, and on like Isaiah 53, you know, the, the sort of standard way of reading Isaiah 53 is this applies to Israel. Israel herself as a nation will suffer, and mm-hmm. so this is all very metaphorical and, and things like that. And the, the Jewish commentators will say, you know, Christians try to make this mean Jesus, but that's imposing a, a view on the text that's outside of the text. And we would say, no, it's fulfilling the text and reading the text in light of who Jesus is. Because as Christians, we believe the entirety of the, of the scriptures, Old Testament and New, is just one big unified story that all points to Jesus. Right, right. All right. Thanks. So, um, yes. Joey, I Great feel question. like the um, the sermons have been a little bit different, like in nature recently and something Nathan and I were just talking about. We just noticed like, uh, I guess just like what we're learning and just being like a part of the story and like the richness of just being in the story. And um, mm-hmm. instead of just becoming too comfortable with the story, like, oh, we go through this every year. It's the ritual of it. Mm-hmm. I know this. And so I feel like the time that we're spending to actually just like slow down and absorb it. And like, I actually, I actually in the middle of your sermon felt like sick to my stomach because I'm trying, like picturing what you're what you're describing of like the abuse and the mocking. And I thought, I'm like, I feel like I could actually throw up right now, which is a good discomfort to feel. We should feel rattled by living in this story, like sitting in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell me like when you're, we've kind of talked about this before, like a long time ago on cover time, but let's revisit when you are preparing to preach a sermon what is going through your mind of like, why do we preach a sermon in the first place? And what's, mm, yeah. what do you want us to be able to get out of it? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. That, I mean, that's a great question, right? Cause yeah, different, uh, different preachers, different pastors will, will preach for different reasons, you know, and, and preaching in school and seminaries, preaching is called homiletics. It's the art and science of homiletics or homiletical communication. Um, and it's different from, say, you know, Greek rhetoric and the schools of rhetoric in ancient Greek philosophy. And it's different from preaching is different from teaching and it's different from sharing a devotional or something like that. So um, you can read some textbooks and they'll talk about sort of the different approaches people take to a sermon. Like some people will see a sermon as 
um, almost like a counseling session where I, I'm assuming that you have brought a problem um, or I'm trying to surface a problem in everyone's consciousness. And then I'm going to show how scripture addresses that problem. And so the goal at the end of the sermon is for you to walk away with reassurance that God has answers to your problems, hope for the future, that if you do what God says, your problems will be resolved somehow and some practical stuff that you can walk away with, you know, do this this week, try this this week. And there's certainly, you know, a place for that to sort of be the approach of the sermon. Um, some people preach sermons for just simply information transfer. You know what, you need to know more about this passage. And if you know more about this passage, then uh, the Holy Spirit will work within that knowledge and bring it up when you need it and apply it to you in specific ways. Um, I take a little bit different uh, tack on it. And of course, Pastor Jeff and I have talked about this a lot, and Nathan and Tom as well, uh, that our goal when we preach, and this comes right out of our vision for discipleship at faith, is our goal when we preach is for people in the room to encounter Jesus in the passage itself, whatever the passage is to somehow in that passage encounter the goodness of what God has done for us in Jesus and in his sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And so um, application is part of that, right? Application is important. Okay, what am I going to walk away thinking or feeling or doing? Um, so you don't want to entirely leave it out most of the time. Sometimes I think it's actually good to leave application out because the point isn't how do I apply the holiness of God to my life or something like that. And yeah, sure. There's things we could think about and talk about, but sometimes in the sermon, it's better to simply show people the holiness of God and then let that work on them in its own time or let the spirit use that in, in his own way. So my goal for the sermons in this series is we've just been trying to walk with Jesus has not been so much to to draw out specific applications or even thought experiments of how what I'm talking about may work in our lives. Um, what I've been trying to do, and I appreciated what you said about like starting to feel it almost physically and viscerally, is I've been trying to tell the, the passion story in such a way that it, it transforms our imaginations. Um, when you think about how, you know, why people do what they do or why people believe what they believe it's really there's a at its root there's there's this picture out in front of us of what we want to be like you know usually that picture is someone we respect or some story we've heard or some idea of something we want to live into and it's it's the imagination the ability to kind of project yourself into the future and imagine what you want to be like that then makes kind of plausible what you believe and what you do and what you really defend in terms of your belief. So anyway, that's a big roundabout way of saying, I wasn't so much, uh, haven't been so much in this sermon series, very intentionally. I haven't been trying to change our conduct. I've been trying to baptize our imagination mm -hmm. so that um, when, when you or I or others are emotionally resonating with what's happening to Jesus in this passage and are seeing him more clearly because of that, we will take that further and deeper into our lives than any sort of specific application points that I could have given as in. So the next time you are in a position where you may be feeling shame, remember this, right? I would rather than people remember my words, they remember Jesus on the cross feeling shame. Sure. sure. Being shame. Yeah. Well, um, that might be why we had actually several people text in questions about like, 
what am I supposed to, how am I supposed to like move on from this and how do I apply this to my life? What does this actually look like? We actually have quite a few of those types of questions. So, but we'll come back to that. Um, I don't want us to get there yet. Um, Okay. All right. But uh, those are great questions. They are. And we can still answer them, but you're saying that's not really the whole point of your sermons recently. It's yeah. At least these couple of sermons in this context, yeah, in this series. So, yeah. All right. So Joey, before we move on to those yeah. types of questions, can yeah, you tell yeah, us yeah. what you had to cut for time for this oh, yeah, sermon sure. on Sunday? Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of things um, from big to little, like on the little side, you know, how it says in the passage that um, there was a placard over Jesus's head that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. You know, if you've mm-hmm. ever seen a, a classic painting of Jesus on the cross, there will usually be some sort of ribbon or scroll or piece of wood that has the letters I-N-R-I on it. Um, and that is an abbreviation for the Latin Jesus Nazarium uh, Rex Uyadorum, which means Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. But the actual placard had that written on it. This is Jesus, King of the Jews, but it was in Hebrew, Aramaic, or no, Greek, uh, Aramaic, and Latin, I think. And so the actual trans, mm. you know, thing itself had the same thing in three languages. It wasn't just four mm. letters, but... Um, it sort of became a convention in Christian art to use INRI to stand for Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Um, so that, you know, it's a little comment I could have thrown in there. Um, I think the, the big thing I left out and, and really the, the whole thrust of the sermon was going in this direction until I was doing more theological reading and I shifted to the direction I went uh, was to talk about Simon of Cyrene, this North African um, God fear proselyte, not sure who is. Um, forced into serving um, as Jesus's porter, right? Carrying yeah. his uh, crossbar up to the, the top of Golgotha or Calvary. So it's interesting that Simon's name is recorded, um, that it's important to remember his name. And one of the other gospels, Mark, I think, says this is the same Simon who is the father of Alexander and Rufus. So his family was known to the community that Mark was writing to. And so most people think, you know, that he, here we have a guy who, like anyone else, is not interested in being part of this whole crucifixion debacle, this scene and everything. And yet somehow what happens to him affects him so profoundly that he is known to the Christian community even after the fact. Likely that means that here's a guy who encountered Jesus and ultimately seeing how he suffered, uh, decided to follow Christ himself, him and his family with him, it seems like. Um, So if I had focused more on Simon, then I think I, I would have taken the sermon into the direction of even in the midst of this suffering, no one is here by accident and God is orchestrating and moving people into the right places where um, somebody like Simon can see Jesus suffering and in his suffering see, oh, this is one worth following. And uh, mm-hmm. it's that's very much worth emphasizing, just not enough time to emphasize everything. But I do think it would be fascinating to think more deeply about what is it that Simon would have seen in the way Jesus suffered uh, that made him think, I need to know more about this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are, the, those are kind of two, one, one little one big that I left okay. out. Okay. Thanks, Joey. All right. So then let's shift back to to application. Do you have application yes, for us? So yes, yes, yes. Here's something you kind of you pulled in towards the end of your sermon. You're talking, you mentioned about um, this passage in Hebrews. Was it Hebrews 13? Mm. Yes, Hebrews 13, um, 13. Yep. Yes, that said, like, since um, Christ has been 
set apart to bear our shame. So we also can worship, like we can be set apart. We can bear this with him, but we can also lift um, a, an offering of Thanksgiving, I think is what it says in praise or something like that. Um, so what does that mean? You ended there saying like, um, we can bear this shame, this burden of shame with Jesus mm -hmm. as a part of the way of the cross, um, it, which is the idea of our whole sermon series. Does that mean that we just walk around like as people who have, you know, we're melancholy or we're just like feeling shameful all the time, all the time yeah. and shamed. Yes. Yeah. Which like, that, we yeah. know that's not true. Yeah. So what does it actually mean? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And um, I'm glad the question came in. Uh, not just because it's like, hey, we need some help thinking about how this applies here, but also because it's like, oh, I wasn't as clear as I thought I was or as helpful as, as I had hoped to be. Mm -hmm. um, so the reason I went to Hebrews 13 is uh, in the, the whole context of the passage, um, it's kind of getting to the end of the book of Hebrews where the author is saying um, like, hey, uh, think about this, remember this, don't forget this. And then um, he comes to this point where he's saying, hey, and remember, we have an altar um, from which those who serve the tent the, the Jewish sacrificial system have no right to eat. And he says, because the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, those bodies are burned outside the camp. Jesus also suffered outside the gate or outside the camp in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Uh, and, and then here's 1313, therefore, uh, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach or the abuse or the disgrace, depending on the translation, uh, that he endured, that he experienced, that he bore. So uh, the author of Hebrews is trying to help us uh, understand that, okay, Jesus was exiled, uh, murdered, you know, executed outside of the camp, outside of the realm of where good, holy people were, right? Like you sacrifice an animal, you dispose of its body. And Jesus was disposed of in that sense. So he, he really, he, she, whoever wrote Hebrews really, dials into this sense of Jesus being rejected and disgraced and in the way he died, bear, you know, bearing a disgrace or a shame or abuse and says, so we should go to him where he is and bear the abuse that he endured. And then he just, uh, the author just leaves it at that. Um, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name and don't neglect to do good and share what you have for those kind of sacrifices that are pleasing to God. But so the author of Hebrews also is just kind of dropping this there and saying, think about this, right? So what I was trying to get across in it is, you know, it, and I think I said something like, it's one thing to say Jesus suffered, therefore I should be willing, or at least I should endure suffering because I know he has suffered as well. Uh, it's another thing to say Jesus was degraded and disgraced and dehumanized. And so for his sake, if I am ever called into a situation in which I am dehumanized, degraded, or disgraced, I should be willing to go into that, that uh, situation because he was willing to go into that. I should be willing to go into that. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. we go looking for it or that we should be a people who are characterized by disgrace and shame uh, or always feeling like we are constantly being, um, you know, we need to be always shamed or carrying this mm -hmm. around but it means if for the sake of his name and the calling he has on our lives uh, he is calling us into places of where we are for his sake being shamed abused disgraced and i mean abused in like the you know people heaping 
reviling words on you, whatever, um, then we, we can't look at that and go, well, uh, that person's not treating me like a human being deserves to be treated. Therefore, I'm not going to minister to them. It's like, well, look at the crucifixion. So yeah, you could look back to Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, hey, blessed are you if people revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil things about you for my name's sake. That this is the kind of bearing the abuse with him that we should be willing to bear because he was willing to not just die for us, but was willing to be completely and utterly dehumanized mm -hmm. in his death for us, right? It's, a it's, it's one thing to stand confidently before the firing line. And of course, I'm speaking out of absolutely zero experience here, uh, right? It's one thing to, as the martyrs uh, or often did uh, after Jesus, it's one thing to, to sort of stand there and say, I can take it uh, with, with courage when, I'm, when you're being shot or beheaded or hanged or something like that. It's another thing to look at a crucifixion and walk into that courageously. That is a completely, and that was what I was trying to get across in the sermon. That is a completely different level of dehumanizing execution. Okay. So. So what do we do with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't want to answer that question because I think the wrestling with the question itself is a more valuable application than being given an answer or even some thoughts of, hey, so this is what it might look like for you to suffer shame along with Jesus. Mm -hmm. If we are, at the very least, I, I, would, I would be thrilled if someone feels themselves called into some sort of ministry situation and when normally they would have thought, oh, I don't want to do that. Instead, they think, wow, am I, like, am I backing away from some sort of suffering because I think I'm too good for it? Like even Jesus, God himself, as Philippians 2 says, and I used in the prayer, second hour at least, I didn't use it first hour, is mm -hmm. he emptied himself by taking on the form of servant, by becoming human, and by um, submitting to death, even, Paul says, even the death of a cross which is not, that's not just a death. That is a dehumanizing death. So I think that this is becoming clear to me. There might just be two different ways that we're talking about shame. We are freed from our shame of sin, but the shame Absolutely, that yes. we are talking about yes. here is shame of like other people's opinions or like, or we will, we can receive that shame. Sorry, we can take on that shame of, what the world says. Yes, right, right. Yeah, I think, I, yes, you're definitely onto something. And I think that's where I wasn't as clear as I had uh, thought I was or I'd hoped to be that I was not talking about sort of, you could call it like the ontological. Or, yeah, now I'm being clear by using seven syllable words. Um, you could call it the, the shame that comes from being a sinner. Is that that is who I am. That is what I am. And that itself is a shameful thing, right? Mm -hmm. we, when we say Jesus took our sin, he bore our shame. We're saying that sin as a power that it exercised itself over us and ourselves mm -hmm. as sinners, as what we are, and the shame that pertains to that was taken by Jesus. We no longer have to be ashamed of our sin or our sinfulness because he has borne all of it. And so we are then free to, with one another, 
uh, confess and confront sin in one another because sin no longer defines us. So we are not shamed by sin as a defining power in our lives. Mm-hmm. But as we, for the name of Jesus, as we present Jesus to others and they in turn revile, abuse, and look at us and say, oh, you believe something that's ridiculous and ludicrous. And there's a sense of which, hey, they heap that same kind of scorn on Jesus. They're going to heap that same kind of scorn on us, or they're going to heap, this is using the word slightly differently, they're heaping shame on us and we can take it because mm-hmm. Jesus himself walked into being shame being heaped upon him. Even, yes. and this was the point I was trying to make, even dehumanizing shame, the kind of uh, reviling you get from someone that says, you don't even deserve to live. You're not even human because you think that you believe that you should Mm -hmm. be, you should be squashed like a bug. Mm -hmm. That's what we can walk into along with Jesus. That's what it means to, to uh, bear his shame in the way that he did. Thank you. That is, there it is. That's that's the point. That's what we were missing. Let's go back to Sunday and I'll try to say that. (laughs) Okay, thanks, Joey, for your time. Thank you. This is great. Thanks for the good questions. It was a good conversation. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.